Hey, this is Leslie Hunt, and you're listening to Michael's Record Collection. Hello, and welcome to episode 39 of Michael's Record Collection. I'm your host, Michael Citro, and in this episode, I'm talking to Leslie Hunt, a terrific singer-songwriter from Chicago. Some know her as the lead singer of the progressive rock band District 97, and many will remember her as the top 10 finisher on the women's side in season 6 of American Idol. Yeah. Leslie has released two EPs in the last few months called Ascend and Descend, and they are both outstanding. Before we get to the interview, I want to thank my newest Patreon member, Scott Pringle, for supporting this show. You can go to patreon.com slash Collection. And take a look for yourself. No pressure. And if one of those options there appeals to you, please feel free to support this independent podcast. If not, no harm, no foul. Keep enjoying the show for free. I'd also like to remind listeners that I'd love to hear from you. Please send me your feedback and your questions to michaelsrecordcollection at gmail.com. Okay, now back to Leslie Hunt. I can't recommend Ascend and Descend enough. Ascend is kind of an Americana release with even a little country rock at times, while Descend is more funky, it's got some R&B and Latin flavors, and all 14 songs across the two releases are short, catchy, well-written, and beautifully sung. I had a ball talking to Leslie about her two releases, and I can't wait for you to hear what she had to say. So let's get to that interview. Here we go. Welcome to Michael's Record Collection. I'm very pleased to have with me on this episode... Leslie Hunt, singer-songwriter, has two new EPs out this year, uh, Ascend and Descend. One of them came out, Ascend, came out June 25th, and Descend came out uh, October 22nd. Leslie, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Michael. Appreciate it. I know you from District 97, the progressive Mm -hmm. rock band. Uh, A lot of people will know you from American Idol. You have three previous solo albums out as a solo artist. Mm-hmm. Um, it came out, uh, one of them came out in 2006 from, uh, from the strange to a stranger, your hair is on fire came out in 09 and wait for it came out in 2012. And now you've got these two new releases, uh, that came out on spirit of unicorn music distributed by cherry red. And I can't wait to talk to you about them. Cause I, I've been enjoying them, um, since they came out and I've been really listening to them a lot this week, preparing for this oh, interview. That's really cool. Thanks. Thank you. No problem. Thank you for the music. I wanted to start, though, by asking you about your musical background. Your your parents were musical people. Do you remember how they introduced you to music or did they just let you come to music? It's interesting. I think I was predisposed. I think I was born an entertainer and a performer. And I think that they saw early on that I was really looking for any opportunity I could to make people laugh or entertain them with song or do a dance for them or organize my cousins into a performance to perform for the family after dinner or, you know, um, just anything I could do to, uh, to entertain. (laughs) And, uh, and, and then my dad recognized early on that I had perfect pitch and I would sit down at the piano and just play and sing and just, you know, um, and so he got me into, my parents got me into piano lessons when I was four And then I started doing professional theater when I was 10. And then I've basically been, you know, making a living in some capacity as a singer entertainer since I was in elementary school. So (laughs) it was, I think, a mixture of my parents providing a very musical environment. So where like there was always a PA set up in the living room, there was always a microphone ready to go. There was a grand piano right in the middle. There was a drum set, you know, everywhere. My mom played bass and guitar and, and I don't know. So just lots of music. Yeah. I'm always amazed when people say they started uh, taking music lessons uh, at an early age. I mean, I think most of us were just trying not to wet the bed at that age. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was probably doing both. So (laughs) (laughs) multitasking early on. Um, Piano and a diaper. You know. Do you recall what your first favorite song or your first favorite album were? I recall just being completely obsessed with Disney songs, just mm-hmm. Disney movies, memorizing them start to finish, 
watching them over and over and over again until I knew every word, every little musical interlude, every little nuance. And yeah, but I think song wise, I've loved, I'm trying to think how it all began. I feel like I just, I, I loved, you know, like eighties women. So like heart, the bangles, you know, Taylor Dane, Paula Abdul, Madonna, um, any of those just like eighties, just big hair scrunchies every which way, you know, mesh stuff all, you know, just, yeah. As a kid, it was my favorite thing to, you know, gem was a big deal for me as a kid. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Did Barbie you have was a- all right, but gem was where it was at. For me, so. <laughs> Did you have a favorite Disney princess? Ariel all day. Okay. Yeah. Okay. She, she was a rebel and, but her voice was so great and I loved her songs and I loved her, um, how she just, you know, had to break free of her controlling father. I just, I loved that. Okay. You, you grew up at a, a good time to, um, have role models, uh, musical role models in women because MTV was very popular in the eighties and mm-hmm. it was a great time for, for female artists on MTV to, to get noticed. And um, so, you know, it's kind of interesting that you're throwing all these influences out there that were big on MTV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I saw I saw myself in them. I was like, I, there's no reason why I can't do this one day, you know? So. Yeah. I'm not an American Idol watcher. Um, Nor am I. Okay. I, <laughs> I came to you, you know, I came to you through District 97. That's how you sort of crossed my path. But you were... You were very successful on the show, reaching the top 10 women in season six. And that's how like a lot of people will know you from your performances there. And and probably that was a case of. And one of the reasons why I don't watch American Idol or that I don't care for it is because I think a, a part of why you didn't go further was because of like sort of stage movement type yep. stuff rather than your voice. And I always mm-hmm. think that the music's the most important thing. Yep, I agree. And I think um, at the time I had so little experience standing there and singing without playing an instrument. At that point, I had basically only performed with my voice on a stage playing piano at the same time. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of coincidence that the following year they let people play instruments. So that was a little ironic. Um, But yeah, and I think that I just, I didn't really believe in myself and I didn't have confidence. And I think that really did come across mm-hmm. as, you know, awkward, like Simon said, you know what I mean? And I felt so awkward. So he wasn't wrong. You know, um, I think that they were really kind of looking for someone that just embodied the thing, you know, right away without needing to be kind of like coaxed along, yeah. you know? Okay. So, yeah. So but I appreciate you're... that. <laughs> no problem. Your District 97 <laughs> is uh, is definitely not what you do as a singer-songwriter. It's not your, what you do on your solo albums. It's very different. you get into progressive rock music how did you get into district 97 was the the fact that your dad was a jazz drummer um did that play into your your interest in progressive rock definitely definitely it did my dad is a jazz drummer but he's also a free jazz um composer as well so he i grew up um attending and touring with a band called the hal russell energy ensemble and they would it was basically like compositions that would explode into free improvisation madness and then come back to the composition. And then the composition was always surprising, you know, time signatures, very odd kind of angular melodies. And my favorite thing was when my dad would just kind of like put a groove to it, you know what I mean? And so Mm -hmm. when district 97 came along and they didn't have a singer yet, I listened to them and I was just like, this is so 
stimulating and exciting. And I loved it. Like the challenge, I'm like, where's the one? My dad would always be like, where's the one? Where's the one? And I'm like, ah, you know, right there, I think, you know, and he's like, yes, you passed, you know, I mean, he's not a drill sergeant, but he loved to challenge me like that. Yeah, you know what I mean? Good. And be like, where's the one? So, um, so that was really appealing when I heard them. Um, and I felt like I, my sister had just passed away and she was really into metal and my dad grew up, you know, I was listening to tons of Frank Zappa in the house, just, you know, um, Led Zeppelin, which is obviously not as prog, but still rocks and is still, you know, has some unexpected twists and turns. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I met them all in music school. So I was already kind of academically thinking along the lines of beyond, you know, my pop, you know, instincts necessarily. So I was primed and ready for that. Did they reach out to you or did you answer an ad or how did that work out that you had? Nice. Um, so, so Jonathan, the drummer of District 97, you know, formerly the primary composer. Now I would say we all compose equally, but he runs the band definitely. Um, and he thought that by asking me to open for them at one of their first shows as an instrumental band, as a solo artist, I was just hot off American Idol. I think he thought that I was going to draw a crowd. Mm-hmm. I did not draw a crowd. <laughs> I also really stink at promoting myself and telling people about shows. So, you know, that, that rings true to this day, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, when I, I heard them perform as an instrumental group after my set and I was like, I want to be your new singer, please. Like, can I sing with you guys? Mm-hmm. And Jonathan was like, sure. And so he started writing songs for me. And the first song he wrote for me to sing was 27 minutes long. And it's called <laughs> Mine. <Mayan Stan. laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I mean, this is this could be a half an, of an album, but sure, yeah. I'll sing this song. <laughs> it's a lot so to I kind memorize. of inserted myself into it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm. You were mentored by songwriting legend Jim Peterick, uh, who we we talked about on this show extensively on episode 17 in my Dennis DeYoung interview, uh, because he worked with Dennis on his, his last couple albums. Mm-hmm. How did you cross paths with Jim Peterick? It's so crazy and it sounds like a Lifetime movie, but it's true. So I recorded a six song demo in my aunt and uncle's basement in their basement studio, just me singing and playing my songs. I made a bunch of them. I made hundreds of copies, circulated them all throughout the high school. The man who was managing the big theater that was attached to my high school that would get a lot of big names through, his name was Bob Destocki. He has now passed away, but he um, used to manage the Eagles and a good friend of his, Jim Peterick, was looking for a young artist to mentor and produce. And so he got a copy of my tape. My tape ended up in Jim Peterick's hands. And then I've been working with Jim Peterick seriously to this day since I was 15 years old. Um, he used to come over and sit in my living room and we would I would show him songs I was working on and he would help me finish them. Or, you know, he, he would kind of start a song and ask me to finish it. And he got me a development deal with Sony, which was great. I wasn't ready for it on a personal level quite yet, but he's been, you know, kind of championing me as a singer, you know, and now I kind of, I'm like his go-to demo voice. If he has a new song and he wants to shop it around, mm-hmm. he'll have me come to his studio. Cause I am local, you know, it takes me 40 minutes to get to his house and I'll, and I'll demo his songs. So. That's that must that have been it, for you. That must have been invaluable to um, to learn songwriting from somebody like that. No, no joke. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we would. Yeah, it was humongous. And honestly, I mean, I have those instincts, you know, like I just I have the songwriter kind of 
I have the channel to that muse and I feel like I'm just given songs and I don't know where they come from and I don't know how I came up with them, but they just are given to me by something else. I don't believe that it is actually me. <laughs> um, I just feel like a vessel most of the time. And so, but he basically just mainly gave me the confidence to just listen to that, you know, mm -hmm. and not overthink it too much. And then also kind of like help me think about form structure, you know, yeah. maybe this goes on a little too long. Maybe we should shorten this and we should get to the course a little sooner and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Jim and his world stage project just came out with Tigress women who rock the world and that album, you sing taller and brave is beautiful. How did that project go? Did Jim pick the vocalist based on the song or did the vocalist pick the song? Did you work on it together? How did that, how did that kind of fit together? I, well, I have, I had sang most of those songs. I think I sang like three other songs. So maybe five or six total off that album I had sang just for demo purposes. Mm -hmm. So he must've liked my demo version of those two songs enough to put them on the record. And, you know, he probably you know, doctored it up a little bit, but, um, um, I, I don't know actually how he selected the songs, um, for those people. I, but they turned out to be really good choices, you know? So like, I would listen to the, I listened to their version and I was like, oh yeah, that girl's voice is like really good on that one. Like better than mine was, you know? So mm -hmm. yeah. I think, I don't know. Yeah. That one has just come out and, and it's on Spotify. So people should go check that out. Cause it's yeah. really, really good. Mm -hmm. Why don't we talk about your two EPs, Send and Descend? My first question has got to be obvious. Why two EPs instead of an album? You know, and I still don't know if that was a great choice. I think I just kind of wanted to prolong the process of, you know, because sometimes when you just do an album, it just feels like a big boulder just falling out of the sky. And it's like, here it is, you know, and so it's, <laughs> I think um, it was fun to kind of create some buzz around each one individually and also just sonically stylistically subject matter wise they are their own bodies of work I wrote each of them in very similar time periods I mean there yes yeah, so like I wrote all of Ascend in a very short time period I wrote all of Descend in a short time period and they there's not a ton of crossover um, subject matter wise I would say Ascend was written and mostly recorded before COVID even hit, you know, and it was just such a different world with such a different um, set of priorities. It was very much about love and relationships and confidence and things like that. And then Descend is about like, whoa, like human beings on this planet, what are we going through? You know, uh, social justice issues, um, just suddenly getting off the, the treadmill and being like, whoa, what am I going to do with all this time? I don't have any performances. I don't have any gigs. Like, what is my life? Who am I right now? You know, it was tough. So that must have always been the plan going in then was to make these two sort of separate things. I think it was. Yeah. And then once we got going on the, the sound of Descend, it was clear that it was not going to be as quite as Nashville sounding. It was more like mm -hmm. soulful a little more like, you know, there's some like funk and kind of, you know, R&B aspect to it mm -hmm. here and there. Um, but yeah. Okay. I hope you only had to sit for one 
uh, photography session for the two covers. I did. Yeah, it was all one day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, we'll talk about the uh, the personnel. You wrote all the songs. Uh, it was produced by Christian Matthew Cullen, who also mm -hmm. works with Jim Peterick, obviously. Yep. Um, you did lead and backing vocals and acoustic guitar. Uh, Matt Gold did electric and acoustic guitar and steel guitar. Uh, Brian Doherty on bass. Michael Kasky on drums. Stuart Mindeman on piano. Wurlitzer organ synthesizer. Uh, Christian Matthew Cullen did a lot on this. So backing vocals, <laughs> electric guitar. Moog Mellotron, which is awesome right. for me. Yeah. Uh, percussion, organ, slide guitar, piano, steel guitar, Wurlitzer, and string arrangements. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he did a lot. I know. So he... Yeah. So basically the basics of Ascend were all done in more or less one day in someone's apartment. Um, his name is Anthony Gravino. He had a home studio that was just unbelievable in every respect. Um, he now moved down to Champaign um, and has a beautiful studio down there. I have not seen it yet. It's a little far away, but that was all done in one day. And I, and so I had that and then I was, had every intention on finishing it. And then COVID happened and then after I had already written all of Descend, I wrote, I reached out to Christian and said, hey, I, I've got like 14 songs. Like, I want you to produce all of them, you know, because this one needs to be finished. We need to figure out how to finish the, the, the vocals without me having to leave my house. So we set up a remote laptop situation with an interface and a, um, and a condenser mic and we would FaceTime and then he would take over the computer with logic on it and engineer the session from Indianapolis while I was in my bedroom closet singing into a corner of dresses. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, we really got crafty on how to finish, you know, ascend and then, and then we did descend in a, in a similar way, but that was mainly done kind of piecemealed wasn't as much of like an organic everybody in the house tracking at one time, you know, keeping entire takes. Maybe we punch one little line here and there. Like it was just very sounds that way too, you know, just sounds very cohesive. Believe it or not, you're not the only person I've talked to on this show who recorded vocals in a closet during the pandemic. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Cause what are you going to do? It's like, yeah. got to find the least reverberant room and if you're yeah. lucky enough to have a closet where you can stand in, do that because it's yeah. Got the dead. sound deadening of the clothes hanging there and all of that. So mm -hmm. yeah, it works works really well. So ascend, as you mentioned, it kind of covers you know the subject matter is like matters of the heart and the soul, and both of these EPs are seven songs and they're fairly short, concise songs. You know, yeah. really uh, well suited for you know the pop genre because it's you know the perfect single length, if you will. Starting over is the, is the one that kicks off Ascend. And to me, and I'm not going to talk about every single song because we would be here all day, but <laughs> to me, this has a little bit of a, maybe a Ben Folds or a Todd Rundgren vibe. What were, what were you mm -hmm. kind of going for on this song? I really like that. I am a big fan of both of those artists and songwriters. Um, I was channeling, you know, some of my songwriter heroes like um, Joni Mitchell, um and also uh yeah just i don't know actually actually no this was this was the song that broke a very long bout of writer's block 
So um, right here is one song on the album that was written kind of a one-off just on its own years ago, maybe in 2011 or 12 or 13 or something like that. So a long, long time ago. Um, and then starting over was the first song that, and I just, I don't really think I thought it through it. Just the song came to me and it all came very fast. It wasn't one of those ones where like I worked on it for several days and couldn't decide on a chorus. It was just very like, just came out and um, I didn't question it too much. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I really enjoy the chorus and the, uh, the sort of the cleverness of the lyrics on this one. Um, then, then you go right into There You Are, which is a very big Tom Petty vibe. What you gonna do about it? You can't stand it cause you gave up control of it. Every time you talk about it, it's so clear what you could do to improve it. Instead, you choose to complain. And that's where it starts and where it stays. It's the same thing day after day. Just present it. It's got yeah. some nice slide guitar, but a bit of crunch on the uh, on the guitar riff. Um, mm -hmm. And it's interesting to me that I would say Ascend sonically is a little more consistent from start to finish, but yeah. you still vary some styles in there a little bit. And I just wondered if you had... You know, you talked about your songwriting heroes like Joni Mitchell, but did you go into this with a plan or is this just the way it kind of worked out? I wish I had more of a plan, but I really didn't. I mean, it was it was hard to even come up with names for these. You know, um, I think this wouldn't wouldn't have even been called Ascend had it not been for that symbolism of like taking off, going into a direction. Oh, never mind. We have to land. We have to, you know. Uh, touch down in a city and be in a, like a never ending layover, you know, which is what like the pandemic feels like, you know, or just yeah. a never ending, like just where, what are we doing now? You know? So I don't know. I don't, I don't think I, I think I just wanted something that felt like really organic and very song focused with not a whole lot of electronic production. You know, I wanted to keep it on the simple side Mm -hmm. Um, and just, I don't know, I guess I was just listening to a lot of like Casey Musgraves at the time too, you know, her album golden hour, um, wasn't as I'm not a giant country music fan and hers, that album was just so about the songs and it just had a really good kind of cozy sound to it start to finish. And I, I, was, I guess I was kind of going for that if I'm honest. Okay. You have a very uh, nice, tasty slide guitar on your wind. And then you get into the song that I think a lot of people will gravitate to on Ascend, which is Wolf Cried Boy. got that mm -hmm. great simple juxtaposition um of, in the title and the lyric and it seems to me that the wolf in this case is a woman <laughs> that's you it's me <laughs> do you do you normally yeah. write from your own point of view or do you write for a, like from a character or does it vary it's usually pretty like it's Personal. it's usually a, a, something i'm going through mm -hmm. usually sometimes the guys in district 97 will give me something that they'd like me to write about, you know, or like, a or, um, in the instance of ghost girl, you know, that, that big Epic that's on our last album. 
Um, that was a story of about another person altogether that we met on the cruise that had this really sad story about being like haunted by demons her whole life and having like a really weird, like a mom that, you know, so, so I, I will write about other stuff, but for the most part, when it's my own, I will write from the perspective of myself and then try to spin it in a poetic enough way to where it doesn't sound like a, like a journal entry necessarily, you know, or like use enough metaphor to where you could listen to it and kind of like put yourself into it more easily. Cause I think that that's ultimately what a listener really looks for is like something that they can pull into their own life and their own experiences. They're not necessarily like trying to find out all about me. Yeah. <laughs> you so know? The, the wolf that cried boy is this, I guess this would be you saying that you know, to, to tie it back to the, the fable. This would be you saying, like this is the one and then it's not the one and then this is the one and it's not the one that kind of thing yep, yep. yeah that's okay. that's been my history and um i was in a relationship at the time when i wrote this that understandably my family and friends weren't taking super seriously because i had just gotten out of another one that was the one and everybody's the one and you know and i was feeling kind of frustrated that I had to miss out on because they weren't really eager to meet this person until I had like put in enough time to where kind of like this person kind of proved staying power. <laughs> and so I felt like I wrote a song like kind of frustrated that we that we couldn't all just be together. Like I had to leave him out of pool parties. I had to, you know, he just wasn't like welcome. And then and it makes sense, you know. Um, I'm 39 years old and I've been in a, you know, a fair amount of relationships and it makes sense that everyone would want, you know, to not necessarily like fall in love with everybody I fall in love with, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. They get to like him and then he's not around anymore. Kind of. Yeah. Thing. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's why you also don't show your kids who you're dating right away because they might fall in love with them. And then that's just unnecessary loss that everybody has to go through when, you know, the relationship matures and, and maybe it isn't right after the infatuation period wears off. So it makes right. sense. But it, I was frustrated at the time when I wrote this. Yeah. Interesting segue, because you brought up loss. And I would say that for me, one of the songs that I like best on Ascend is Down the Road. I wish I could have been the person that you needed. Anybody's guess if anybody could And ever since I lost the chance to make it right I'm finding ways of keeping you alive There are some people that we cannot say goodbye to And some people that we think will never leave our side But when you started riding butterflies I felt it I gotta say it crushes me every time I listen to it. I mean, in a good way, but me also- Me too, I, just, I hear the title and I get misty-eyed, misty so. <laughs> is this about your sister? Yes, Yeah. It it's, mm -hmm. it's you, you know, you talked about not being a much of a country person, but this definitely has a country flavor to this song. Definitely. Mm -hmm. um, was, and you said your sister was into heavy metal. Yeah. So it's interesting that you juxtaposed country music to, to write about her, you know, sort of that style. It is interesting. And that's funny that you mentioned that I, um, I've written about her. I, I feel like I've, I've written about her. Oh, and I haven't written a ton about her um, with District 97, but I channel her spirit in that band a lot. So in that way, I am, I almost like created an alter ego on stage with the band that feels like a conglomeration of us both coming into one person you know what i mean mm -hmm. um but yeah i don't think she was a big country fan and so she's probably you know upset that i did that <laughs> <laughs> oh i don't think so that's don't such so. a beautiful beautiful song yeah.
let's talk a little bit more about Descend now, which okay. just came out. And this is, uh, was, it, was it the same personnel, essentially? Not quite. Um, the, uh, the bassist is different. Andrew Vogt played bass on, on Descend. Uh, we tracked at a time where COVID was at its all-time high. Mm-hmm. And so we did, we entered the studio masked. We did, you know, rapid tests in the studio, waited for them to be negative, then removed our masks and tracked. So it was, you know, everybody was kind of putting themselves a little bit at risk by doing that. But, mm-hmm. um, but, but Brian Doherty at the time was not. Um, and, you know, Andrew ended up being a really good choice. I think that he, even though he hadn't played with Michael Kasky before, they gelled right away. And it was just a wonderful union of sounds. The reason that I went with that band for us end is that all of those guys had played together so much that they were just like, they, they instinctively knew what each other was going to do. And they could, they could like give each other little looks like you want to maybe at that point. And they're like, yeah, 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 probably. And I'm like, what did you guys just, what did you guys just decide? You know, that's cool. But I mean, I guess it ended up great. Um, This was not quite as like band plays Leslie Hunt music. It was more like, you know, people kind of hired individually. So, yeah. Starts off with Don't Make Me Come Back There, which is such a great um, line from a mom. No one knows what's in store when there's a knock at the door. Either way, get away. There's a long, long way to go yet. Keep food on your plate. The evidence is Don't make yeah. it come back there. And it's, it's, it seems to have multiple sort of subjects in, and it starts off with that great lyric about, you know, keeping your hands where you can see them, uh, which was a very big topic uh, in 2020 with, you know, with what was going on with police violence against blacks and, mm-hmm. you know, don't make any sudden moves. Don't go for your glove box, that kind of thing. And, and I just wondered, you know, sort of how many, how many topics did you kind of jam in this song? Um, because there was, if you're like me, or and I think like most people, I think all of us, our heads were just about to explode last year because there were just so many things going on. Yep. And I felt that too. And I felt like I was just walking around my neighborhood, just looking at my neighbors and like, okay, like how far, like how close are we going to get on the sidewalk? And you know, and watching people have, you know, driveway parties and then watching people have like first birthday parties out in their lawn in the dead of winter. And, yeah. um, you know, and just like, and then also just watching the different signs go up in the yard. You know, I lived, I live in a neighborhood where like from one house to the next, you just don't know who anybody voted for, you know? And so like, you're kind of walking around, like, you know, so we've got political stuff, we've got racial stuff, we've got, um, you know, different amounts of, thinking that this virus is bogus you know so then if you're wearing a mask in public people are like take that off you're you're listening to you know your cult leader you know and just stuff like you know it's just like whoa so i I crammed just about all the subjects into this song (laughs) (laughs) it did feel like a little bit of everything and it but but the overall message is is everybody just stop don't make me come back there <laughs> just strap in stop ask yeah stop being so impatient you know everybody's like oh another month of this and it's just like you're still alive shut up you know what i mean like mm-hmm. if you're able to complain please just refrain from doing that because that means you're one of the lucky ones that's alive you know yeah. and that's how serious it felt to me and i just couldn't believe i just was just like why why are why are we so bad at being passengers why are we so bad at being powerless? Why are we so bad at thinking like a group right now? You know, why is it all about me and my rights and I'm inconvenienced and I'm bored, you know? Yeah. And it's like, God, you all sound like toddlers. Don't make me come back there, please. Yes. So anyway, <laughs> I was a little annoyed. <laughs> yeah, I no, I agree with you. I, I, I felt like I think a lot of people felt varying degrees of that. It was certainly a case of you, you really found out exactly how entitled we are now uh last year when you know people were 
complaining about having to stay home or wear a mask. And it's like, well, you know, you could be on a ventilator right now. <laughs> right. I know. It was such an obvious, like, yeah, just a spotlight on entitlement, like you said. So I had a lot of um, preachy things to say, and I just created an album full of like great advice. <laughs> the second track is the most different. Uh, it's the one that stands out, I think, in terms of stylistically from all the other songs on both of the EPs. Because it sounds like a Rufus with Shaka Khan song. It's very R&B, very, um, very different from the other songs. But uh, was when you put this on here, was that a concern for you that it, that it stuck out as much as it did? Very much so. And if anything, um, Chris, Christian, the producer, was like, does this even go? Like, maybe this is just on its own. Maybe this mm -hmm. doesn't fit with the record, you know? And I just didn't want it to be kicked out from the group. You know what I mean? Cause I just feel like there was just so many topics in that, that applied, you know, mm -hmm. that it sums up the, the mood of, of the year, you know, and, and, um, but like put it to like a fun dancey vibe. And like, if I'm honest, you know, that's some of my favorite stuff. I don't often write that way because I often write when I'm kind of sad, you know, so I didn't want to kick it out because I wanted to be able to then one day kind of cross over to maybe my next album is just more funky and upbeat and dancey and, um, you know, so I don't know. I, I didn't want to kick it out. Yeah. Well, it was a concern. It lets people dance to social uh, justice and issues, you know, that's not something that people yeah. get to do very often. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't get to do that very often. So no. you're welcome. Yeah, I absolutely I have to tell you how much I love Big White Flag. This is a song that is, I struggled to find one influence because it sounds very much like the Cars. It sounds very much like a Taylor Swift song. The car, it's got this Cars sort of uh, keyboard riff in there and the chorus is a little Carsy, but also it's got that sort of Taylor Swift attitude a little bit. And, mm -hmm. and I love that you invented a new uh, pronunciation for the word schedule. <laughs> schedule schedule <laughs> schedule yeah uh, what was was sort of your uh do you remember what you were listening to or what you were thinking about when you wrote that i i was i was listening to taylor swift i okay. i was folding laundry and watched like a you know a big performance of hers that, that um on netflix or hbo or something um and just the vast kind of different different kinds of sounds she has you know so like she's got these big dance numbers she's got this like you know just sit, sitting at a microphone singing and playing guitar and connecting with her audience in such a way that you know I loved but I just got this like little beat in my head 
And, and I found myself just, um, my boyfriend was in the basement on a big zoom call with all of his friends. That's how they all stayed connected. They would do these big elaborate zoom calls. They would play games and like try, you know, make fun of each other and just do all this funny stuff. And I was sitting upstairs and I didn't know what to do with myself, first of all. So I find myself like going into a room, I would turn the speaker on. I got this Bluetooth speaker and it goes and it makes this big noise when it goes on. And then it makes another noise when it goes off and I would turn it on. And then like, think I was going to listen to a podcast, but I would just like do off. And I'm just like, I don't know, I'll turn it off. No, I don't want to be in silence. No, I'm going to turn it back on. And so I just felt like I was just going, I just didn't know what to do with myself because normally I'm so busy, you know, normal life. And uh, yeah. So when I wrote it, I knew that it was super poppy. I knew that I wanted it to have almost like an eighties driving feel to it. Like, um, I was listening to a lot of 1975, the band. Um, I really like that band. Uh, and they've got this like, kind of like eighties dance vibe to, um, a lot of their songs. Mm -hmm. And that was the song that I wrote that made me realize that I needed to rope Christian in. I remember the first text I sent him, I was like, I just wrote a song that's super poppy and you need to produce it. And he's like, oh, cool. Like, I'd love to hear it. And he, so I, I sent it to him and then I, and then he's like, well, would you have any other ones? I'm like, actually, yeah, like, let's just do this, you know? And then I got mm -hmm. the idea to do a Kickstarter so I could afford him, you know, cause he's a, you know, he's a busy guy. He does a lot of um, sound production and um, sound design for, you know, various commercials and stuff like that, but he hadn't done a record in a while. So, so that was kind of the gateway song that, that had me admit that it was time to work with Christian on these songs because they needed a proper home. Yeah. Well, I think they found it. <laughs> yeah. But I'm glad you like that one. I like that one too. Yeah. It's a, it's a really great song. So yeah. many times is another favorite on this one. Can you tell me how you came up with the the backing vocal part in the chorus, that sort of soaring thing that you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that is that is really cool. <laughs> thanks. I think the way that the because um, I knew that the I wrote I, this was one of those ones that just came really fast. I wrote it really fast. It was another one that I wrote while. Lloyd was in the basement on a zoom call. So there was something about him being social and doing his thing. And then I was just alone. What I felt was alone up in the main floor to just like write a song and not have anybody within earshot going out. Ooh, you know, I felt like I was kind of like as alone in the house as I humanly possibly could be during a pandemic where everybody is trapped together. <laughs> so um, I knew uh, the, the pre-chorus ended kind of, I'm dancing in the bright lights. Oh. And I knew I needed, I knew it needed to go. Mm. Uh, and I knew it just needed to kind of like soar back up from there. So like, because the pre-chorus ended uh, right before the one of the downbeat of the chorus, I knew that the first part of the chorus needed to just be kind of like a nonverbal melody. Yeah. You know what I mean, so it didn't have to, yeah. So it didn't have to cut off too soon. Yeah. I just think it, it holds everything together really well it's very seamless and it, for me that part really makes the song there's mm -hmm. a guest uh, a guest vocal by i think his name is jerome matthew jr mm -hmm. jerome matthews yep and you, jerome matthews is somebody that you work with in a, another band right mm -hmm. yeah so my big bread and butter thing as a musician to stay at home you know to stay local and and support my kids uh, with full benefits and everything is i'm an event band leader so i do you know we do lots of weddings we do lots of private events um and jerome's been in that band as my primary you know he and i are the two lead singers primarily since 2015 and this song is about being in an event band, you know, being a part of someone's family for the night. Why I haven't seen my own family and their own celebrations like any Saturdays since yeah. 2008, you know? <laughs> so, uh, 
yeah and then um and because so much so much pop music that we sing so many songs have those kind of like put your hands up whoa you know just kind of stuff I was like I could write a song with kind of a play on that you know what I mean just like uh, like you know put your hands up kind of thing <laughs> yeah yeah it's it really works it's great um thank you and then the the Closer is Complex Heart, and this one I just really love the string arrangement. And mm -hmm. I always am curious how somebody like uh, like Christian or whoever came up with this was. I, I'm always curious as how they they hear a song, the way it's written, and go, "I know exactly how the strings should go for this." I don't know either. I mean, I think he's so connected with. He's got such an ear, you know, and such a sensibility for, um, you know movement and and just kind of what I like about him is that he makes sure that there's a point of interest from the beginning of the song to the end there's not a lot of just droney nothingness like the mind has somewhere to go something is always kind of popping out and grabbing you for a second and I think he's really good about that's what makes him such a genius string arranger as well because he can hear those inner voices you know he can um kind of you know find out I came up with the with the harmony that e you know kind of thing that mm -hmm. goes along with the vocal and then I think the strings kind of took off from there or no 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 I'm wrong because the strings were first but he had more or less done the string arrangement and then I um sang the vocal sang the backgrounds over that okay I, I always think the sign of a good song is a song that's got a lot of little not too complex things going on but the way they mm -hmm. come together just really adds texture and depth and layers to it and and i think this is one of those songs in fact i wish it was longer because it, it's over <laughs> like i'm just enjoying it and then it's gone it's like ah now i gotta start it again but and uh, it's so funny because we actually made it longer that's oh, yeah. the longer version of it <laughs> when i first wrote it it was like more of an interlude and and christian was like this is my favorite song you've ever written like can we please make it longer? And so then we, you know, added that little interlude thing da, 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 and then came back with a, but yeah, I agree that a lot of these songs could probably stand to be stretched a little bit if performed live, you know, um, because they're, some of them are so short that it's like, whoa, like a 20 minute EP, like of seven yeah. songs. Like why yeah. are so many of them less than three minutes long? Yeah. I don't know why that is. I probably, could have probably stretched them out a little bit, but I didn't. So here we are. Yeah, there's no need to pad it either. So, you know, sometimes yeah, you don't want to just needlessly fluff things up. Yeah. I mean, if like, you want, if you want things to be longer, all you got to do is uh, do some of your District 97. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about like the, yeah, an average song length is like seven minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you can so. sing both EPs or one epic from District 97 yeah. in the same amount of time. I don't. It's all or nothing <laughs> with me, apparently. So. Uh, do you have a favorite song on these 14 out of these 14 one that really speaks to you more than others um I don't know I find myself I like I like them all for different reasons and I do find myself every now and then kind of wanting to like visit them you know like I would visit a family member and be like mm, you know pop in on this one oh like I you know it's sometimes hard because I'll listen for like just a tiny little moment that I'm like, oh, I wish I would have sang that better, you know? And like, there's just, it's kind of tough um, for me to just leave it alone. But overall, I think that these are just about as great as they could, ever could have turned out. You know, I mean, we really, the, the mixes are amazing. The masters are amazing. The playing is so good. The ideas, you know, I couldn't be more grateful for the home that these songs found. Um, I guess it just depends on the day. Some days I just want to like funk out only. Some days I've, <laughs> 
you know, if I like want to cry, I will listen to certain songs, you know, I think your wind is a song that really gets me. I thought I'd seen it all, had written all the stories, I thought that I had felt it. I'm just really proud of how that one flows and it just what what that song makes my like it makes me want to dance in a, in a in my weird district 97 way of like lose you know what I mean because like there's like some odd meters and yeah you know we like we lose a beat here and there and it's like a little bit herky-jerky and a little but I just for some reason that that song really uh I'm really really proud of that one you mentioned that a lot of these songs just kind of fell out of you was there was there one that was maybe harder to write than the others yes Wolf Pride Boy was hard. That one gave me a lot of trouble. I couldn't figure out what to do for the chorus. The chorus melody, I think I probably had seven different versions of it. Then I finally came up with that one. I think I worked on that one for like a week straight. That one just came out so hard. And then I finally came up with a thing and I was like, this is it. Finally, finally. And it's also a hard one for me to remember because it had so many different chord uh orders you know what I mean so like I feel like I would I would come up with a thing and then like a b it you know and be like okay do I like this do I like this f major seven to the c major seven or do I like to reverse it you know and I don't know I kind of probably thought about that one too hard but it is it turned out great so I'm glad I did that down the road took a little while I thought down the road was going to be about something totally different I thought it was going to be about kind of closing up a relationship, you know, like, but it ended up turning into a song for my sister. So that was different, but. Okay. What's next for Leslie Hunt? You're going to be able to get out on the road and tour these things? Are you going to like do some shows in Chicago? You know, we're going to hear some live uh, versions of these. That's what I desperately want to do next. That's my big thing. Um, I, I did pay somebody to make really good charts of all of these songs. So if I, you know, if my key players aren't available, I could, you know, hand another player the documents to pull out these songs with it. The thing about a so being a solo act, it's not as much about, you know, like being a band, we rehearse all the time for free. We, you know, we have a band account. We, you know, like whatever we get paid at the end of it is great. Um, we're more of like an entity. But for me, it usually ends up costing me money to play as a solo artist because I mm -hmm. want to make the time worthwhile for the people that I hire. But I know that now I do have a band and they're pretty excited about it. And they keep, they keep being like, when are we going to play? When are we going to play? And so I just need to like, I'm not great at booking stuff. And so that's just, that's a hurdle I need to get over with the quickness because that <laughs> would be a great thing to put together. So, yeah. And I have more songs too. Oh, nice. So, so we're going to hear another album coming soon, maybe. Hope so. That's the plan. Keep them coming right. like a machine. Just feed the machine. <laughs> any live dates <laughs> with uh, any live date scheduled for District 97? Yes, we have one more um, show. We just got off. We just got back from a tour. We went down south and, and, and back. And then now we've got one at Reggie's on November 19th, which is just a week from today, actually. Oh, um, okay. and that's our final one. And then we are going to do a tour out east in the spring. Sounds cool. I'm uh, I wish you all the luck in Thank the world you. with these two EPs. They're great. You can go to LeslieHuntMusic.com and buy all not only the two EPs, but all of your albums and some T-shirts and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, where else can people find you on the Internet? Um, Instagram at Leslie Hunt, uh, Facebook at Leslie Hunt Live, YouTube 
I don't know, remember what that one is. I think <laughs> I think Leslie just type Hunt. Leslie Hunt in. Yeah, and just please. YouTube yeah, will yeah. tell you where to go. I think <laughs> I think that's where we're at finally. So I yeah. think it's I don't think you need to have it spelled just right. Um, yeah, but I, I'm all over the place. You can mm -hmm. stream it first. Streaming it actually really helps me stream it and then buy it if you like it. You know, those numbers are really important, I guess. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you don't you don't tweet a lot though. You're not you're on Twitter, but you don't you don't tweet very often. You know, that is a thing that I should also do because anything that's ever been on Twitter, it was because my Facebook was linked to it. Mm. And so it all just kind of does it all at once. And that was yeah. helpful just to keep me kind of active on more than one side at a time. But truly, I have a problem with social media. I really just dislike almost everything about it. So that's, that's you know, not serving me, you know, very well. But it's, uh, it is something I, I don't, it's not a process that I enjoy. So I wish that we had other ways, but apparently yeah. the world is passing me by. So <laughs> I better, <laughs> I better get with it. <laughs> Leslie Hunt, the, the EPs are called Ascend and Descend. I think they're terrific. I hope they do really Thank well you. for you. I really appreciate your time today. I really appreciate this interview. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me and for listening and for caring. It means a lot. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media at Mike's Records on Twitter and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Michael's Record Collection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening. Yeah, I like the level of questioning that we did. They're not always so great.